0: So Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
2: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
2: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears.
0: We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with your monthly dose of trends, sex advice, and real-life stories. Before we begin, a quick content warning for parents. Uh, this month, it's not just the foxhole section that contains explicit content. Our middle feature, as well, deals with adult themes. Here's
3: what's coming up. When you look at real women, your brain's like, oh no, that's nothing to do with arousal, because you've trained your brain to only get aroused when you're watching porn
0: quitting porn to maintain your sex life i meet the listener who entered the world of the no fap movement plus
1: spanking electro play and forced degradation
0: how should you contact a dominatrix alex fox has all the etiquette and ollie peart discovers the truffle of the sea it's all to come on this edition of the modern man But first, your letters, and hello to Miriam, who enjoyed my interview with Tommy Barnes last episode. She says, Ollie, I'm not really into beer, but listening to you drink it and discuss it whilst I was settling a baby to sleep in 25 degrees heat made me salivate. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, And Charlie had the best feedback, though. Uh, She says, when my husband Simon and I listened to your episode about beer making, we had just started a road trip through France. After listening to the episode, we decided on the off chance to contact Tommy." Barnes and make a trip to his brewery. We both really enjoyed sampling his beers and also bought some to enjoy on our holiday. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I don't know if you understand why that would feel like such a big deal to me. Um, Well, two reasons, really. Firstly, Tommy is actually, you know, it took me about five hours to get to him. He lives in a beautiful place, but it is quite off the beaten track. It's not somewhere you would likely be passing on a French road trip. And secondly, as a podcaster, it is genuinely thrilling to hear someone write in and say, I'm a holiday maker. I was listening to you whilst I was taking a break. I mean, that's flattering anyway. And then whilst I was in France, I changed my itinerary in real time to go and meet one of your guests. And it's incredible and humbling, the power of podcasting. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, now, if you want to buy yourself some beers, uh, not Tommy's, because as we discussed last episode, you do have to head to his brewery in Bralu to buy those like Anjali did. Uh, but if you would like a beautifully curated selection of international craft beers delivered to your door... You probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, Why not check out the work of our sponsors, Beer 52? They are the UK's number one craft beer club, and their special deal for man fans is a trial box of eight beers, a free magazine, and a snack worth £24. All you pay is the £2.95 postage, under three quid, for eight really nice beers. Get it now. Have an Indian summer. Head to beer52.com slash man. That's the word beer, the number five, the number two com slash M-A-N-N. And thanks again to them. Right, coming up this episode, you will learn how to reboot your brain. You'll learn what Pepper Dulce is, and you'll learn about Farto Shopping. Let's go. Time for the Zeitgeist. Your trend's tested with a man whose motto is, if it walks, I'll grill Halloumi on it. It's Ollie Pitts.
4: Pescatarian and proud.
0: Have you fixed anything since last time?
4: Yes. What? My camera lens. I'm not joking. I'm okay, jo-
0: don't tell me about it. Uh, Just wanted the answer. Oh. Um, you were challenged last episode by Stefan from Coventry to try out some micro-adventures. Mm-hmm. Are they still a trend? Because we covered micro adventuring on the show in twenty sixteen. So is it still a thing people are talking about?
4: It is. But it's changed slightly. So like the orig- when we talked about micro adventures, we were talking about the micro adventure that was coined by Alistair Humphreys. He's an adventurer and an explorer, and his idea behind it was, you finish work at 5, and then you go and have an adventure, and then you go back to work in the morning at 9. So yeah. what you do between 5 and 9, not 9 and 5.
0: Kind of couch to 5K, but for adventure travel.
4: But it's been adopted by the travel industry, so they've sort of taken that, that term and applied it to shorter experience-led holidays, which are a growing trend. So people who are very, very busy, they work more, they've got family commitments and mobile phones that distract them the whole time, just want short, sharp hits of adventure. So it might be flying off to Morocco, riding motorbikes in the desert, but it'll be three or four days. Back in the office. All right, guys, oh, check out what I did
0: this weekend. Okay, so there's kind of two strands of micro-adventuring, mm-hmm. but I guess the ones that you were being challenged to do were the more traditional type, if you want to use that word, so that they are the ones you can do in a couple of hours away from
4: home or work.
0: Yeah. What have you done?
4: Fishing. Are
0: you a fisher anyway? Nope. Do you I, fish? No. Have I've you ne- fished?
4: Nope. I've never <laughs> been fishing before in my life. Okay. I went out in the sea, on a boat, with a fishing rod, and not only did I go fishing, I caught a mackerel. Fuck off. I, yeah. I caught a pollock. Wow. And on top of the call box in the boat, the guy that was helping me do it, he had a like a measuring thing, so like, you know, the European standards for fish, and I, I needed to check if my bollock was the right size. Pollock. <laughs> my pollock was the right size. I'm
0: sure much hilarity was had on board. They've never that heard was, that one before. That
4: was a genuine error. What was it? <laughs> that was a genuine error. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. I needed to check that my pollock was the right size. <laughs> anyway, and it was. It was longer than 47 centimetres, so I got to keep it. <laughs>
0: So you live by the coast. Yeah, yeah. What were the reasons you hadn't gone fishing before then?
4: Well, I don't have a fishing rod for a start. Yeah. Also, it just seems really boring. I see loads of people. There's a stretch of beach near me where people just sit there in their little tents and just, you know, sit their rods in the water and you're like, oh.
0: But this is the classic microadventure thing, isn't mm. it? Like, I'm, I, it looks boring, mm. but I've got two hours. I'm going to see what it's actually like.
4: Yeah, and I was only out there for two hours. And I tell you... It was brilliant. Really? Yeah, genuinely brilliant. And uh, it's right there. It's on your doorstep. On my doorstep. done it before. Yeah, exactly. So was that an expensive trip? That cost 25 quid. That was for two hours. So that wasn't too bad. So yeah, it's, you see a trip to the cinema can cost that, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And and it was totally worth it. Got to go on the guy's boat, cruising about. It was a really nice evening when we went out. Caught some fish. And I because I got to keep the fish, that was the night's dinner as well. So I got a trip and I got free dinner. Did you cook it?
0: Yeah, I so cooked you, it. So you gutted it and all that stuff?
4: Uh, yeah, gutted it, cooked it Gutting fish is disgusting Absolutely God. revolting It is one of the worst things in the world But it has to be done So when
0: you did catch one Did you have to bash it on the head?
4: No uh, You can But we just left it in the box And, and, and it, it's horrible You just watch it drown Well you don't watch water. it It's like a cool box And then you just put it in there And close the lid And you just hear this <laughs> And then and then it's just slowly
0: Oh that's, yeah It is drowning, isn't it? It's drowning in air It's the equivalent of us Going in the sea, I guess Yeah That's it, dead did it taste good? Mackerel's delicious.
4: Pollock, not so good. Died in vain. Uh, what else did you do? I went kayaking. Did you? Yeah. Now, you do live by the water, so this stuff's a bit easier for you than for others. You can do it in so many places. Rivers, lakes, ponds, if you want. Uh, but you, you, any kind of waterway you can go. Like canals, for down, example. Down
0: the street, if there's been a recent flood.
4: You'd be surprised where you can do it. I found out that you could do it not far from where I used to live. Just outside Reading, there's a place, a little industrial estate. You can just hire a canoe and then go down up to Goring and Streetly. Do you
0: have to go on some sort of safety briefing before they let you loose in a boat? No, <laughs>
4: no. Do yeah, you know it's crazy, really? Like I, we, we sort of turned up and the the, the new kayak. I've been kayaking since I was a kid. Yeah. So I didn't. I back in the day, there was those things where they sort of wrap around you and then you roll over and you fall out and you think you're going to die. These ones are all open top, and then you have your feet in these like little ridges.
0: When you say we, did you go with your fiancé? Yeah, we went in a, in a pair. Did you nearly split up as a result? No. I went with my wife in Croatia last year. <laughs> did she, I was rowing fucking hard and yeah. she was just absolutely but outraged that I somehow hard? wasn't rowing hard enough.
4: Why were you, and it's paddling by the way, but why were you, why were you doing that?
0: Because we were in a group of people and they were slightly further ahead oh, than right. us.
4: Oh, Oh, OK. Well, no, it, it, it was a very relaxed affair. Basically, there was loads of rocks around and the guy was like, hey, look, there's some rocks. Just sort of paddle around them and stuff, which we did. But then one of the group a bit of swell came, and their kayak got jammed between two rocks, flipped over, and one of the guys like ripped his leg open Shit. on some barnacles. He was fine, and he wasn't that worried about it, and he thought it was quite a cool experience. So That's not a cool experience. It didn't really hurt. It just looked really dramatic.
0: Okay, so you've done two micro-adventures so far in mm-hmm. this list, but they're both sort of instructor-led. Did you do anything where you just went out by yourself and tried something new?
4: Yeah. So one of the things I did is I went out and uh, foraged for seaweed. You can eat any seaweed in the right? UK. So any seaweed that you see, you can eat, apart from the stuff that's washed up on the shore. You have to pick it off a rock. Don't go and eat mouldy seaweed on the beach that's okay. got the flies around it. Yeah. But I found out about a seaweed called pepper dulse. It tastes just like buttery garlic. And I'm not joking. It is delicious. That's straight off the rock. Yeah. I didn't know this. And when I read about it, I was like, nah, rubbish. Found some. Oh, my God. Well, and raw, you don't cook it. Raw, straight, straight away, raw like that. It's described as the truffle of the sea. And you can buy it, right? So you can buy it in Waitrose, but it works out at 60 quid for 100 grams.
0: So did you genuinely, you finished work one night mm-hmm. and went off pepper dulse picking and came back with some seaweed to eat with dinner?
4: Yeah, I did. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> so is that something you might consider doing again then? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Like the This is the thing with that one. Like The idea is of, of going out and and getting food and cooking it for yourself yes. and it's completely free is uh, amazing. And because of that fishing thing I did as well, yeah. I could easily do that from the shore and not pay anyone to go out on the water to do it and still, you know, have a similar experience.
0: Be self-sufficient. There you go. Sort of.
4: I'll just be a little hermit on the beach. Yeah. Just eating seaweed and fish.
0: Okay, well, this is all very nice that you found out lots of things you can do near you and you've had this epiphany about the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of these micro-adventures that you went on go horribly wrong?
4: Yeah, yeah. The shortest one, which was... You mentioned when we were talking about it, you said, you know, jumping off a cliff or whatever. Yes. I didn't jump... You've got to pick your cliff carefully, I would suggest. Yeah, so I didn't jump off a cliff. Yeah. I jumped off a harbour wall. The water shot right up my nose Uh and then out of my ears. No. I I don't know... Happens. I didn't know that was possible. The pain was insane. <laughs> it hurt so much, and I got and I was un- I felt like I was underwater for about fifty seconds, and I came up and my ears were just stinging, and I felt really dizzy. Did you
0: think fuck? I've done something really bad. Here.
4: I thought I'd blown up my head. Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: but did you really? You thought this could be a lasting injury? I
4: thought, yeah, well, yeah, I thought I'd damaged my ears. I genuinely thought I'd it's damaged horrible.
0: My ears. But I've done that thing where you get knocked over by a wave when you're just swimming. Yes, and you you get your like your face gets dredged <laughs> through the sand. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of those. Yeah. I don't- And although you said there's a part of you that knows it's probably okay because you're in a stretch of beach where other people are jumping waves, and Mm. there's also a part of you that's like, oh, this could be the last thing I ever see.
4: Yeah, yeah, there is. But this is the thing with all of them is there's there's like a a little tiny bit of risk, and that's what makes them so enjoyable. It's only a small bit. I mean, it's like eating seaweed is not risky, depending on where you do it. Like you could slip over and whatever, but it's just a little bit exciting and it's interesting, and you're learning about you know your environment and where you live and that kind of stuff. And did you do
0: any wild swimming? I did. Where did you go? I swam in the sea. I thought it was something supposed to do in a river.
4: Yes. But the Times have recently discovered that uh UK rivers are the most polluted they have ever been since records began. Huh. Because water companies are basically just tossing loads of sewage into the into the waterways. But surely
0: that's dependent slightly on where you live, isn't it? So if you live in the lake district, you're okay, surely.
4: No, not really. Like all of the rivers are more polluted than they've ever been, some more so than others. But half of the stretches of rivers that were monitored by the Environment Agency exceeded the limits on at least one hazardous pollutant, like you know heavy metals and pesticides and that kind of stuff.
0: That's really interesting because it is the big thrust of adventurers. They'll tell you that's the one to try first, isn't yeah. it? Go wild swimming in your local river. Yeah, because
4: it's the simplest thing. And actually, if you look at most rivers, they look pretty clean as well. You wouldn't necessarily know that they're sort of full of all kinds Raw of yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> although jumping in the harbour is probably not the best place to jump either is it
0: no i guess so okay so you went wild swimming in the sea instead mm-hmm. how far did you go out
4: mm, 10 minutes 10 minutes Five, that counts yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah i'd yeah. say i okay. say that kind of counts and it is really nice like being you know being bobbing about in the water when you're like a little bit further out it's a nice place to be
0: okay congratulations you have you have adequately answered Stefan's challenge
4: oh, uh, i've done loads more though
0: how much more? I don't know if I can handle that many more things if you saying? no, yeah, it was good actually.
4: Well, okay, fine. I slept outside. That, <laughs> that actually wasn't that good because it rained. I, I had a fire on the beach and I cooked eggs on it. Not halloumi. And I went paddleboarding. There you go.
0: Have you never been paddleboarding before? I have. I was going to say you're such a paddleboarder. Yeah,
4: and the thing with paddleboarding is I had to try it because it's like one of the biggest, fastest growing water sports or something like that. It's absolutely crazy. And it's because of this inflatable technology for the boards. So you could, unlike a surfboard, uh-huh. you can deflate them and inflate them and they're really rigid. So it just means loads of people are like, oh, well, I have one of those. and just pop it in the car. And people like Audi have started selling them. Have they? So yeah.
0: Paddleboarding is the thing, is it?
4: Paddleboarding is the thing that you can find in your local supermarket, quite literally.
0: I hadn't noticed that technology applying to paddleboarding but I had noticed it in the hot tub world. <laughs> Tells you the difference between you and I. <laughs> I've always wanted a hot tub. Sir, when, I've never committed to it.
4: Have they got the uh, rigid wall design? Is yes. that what it right? So okay. you can,
0: have you got one? No, I haven't. But another summer went by this year where I was like, "Oh, I really want a hot tub." But hang I'm not on, hang do it. on
4: though. Hot tub in the summer?
0: Yeah, 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 because it's too cold the rest of the year to have a hot tub. I know people have them on like alpine slopes, but they don't live in Hertfordshire. it looks look ridiculous walking around my street, going into a hot tub in my swimming trunks.
4: Anybody going into a hot tub looks ridiculous.
0: Anyway, Lazy Spa do them. Mm. Uh, they're f- about 500 quid, and it's a rigid inflatable. So yeah. it l- And it looks like a Swiss chalet type hot tub, but it's you can deflate it if you want. So this issue about, oh, we don't have the space, my wife claims, not an issue. Not <laughs> an issue, because you can deflate it. it, it. Yeah. You will never deflate it. I know, and I'll also never go in it, and yeah. it will still... <laughs> So that's why I haven't got one, but one day, one day. Uh, okay, so what was the best one then?
4: One of my favourite ones was, just, was the fire on the beach, because I went down to the beach and just literally gathered up a load of
0: wood. Did you? Proper hunter-gatherer? Yeah.
4: The the only thing that I did that was slightly modern is I took a frying pan with me, but that's kind of how it goes. Okay, it yeah, yeah, noise. yeah, fine. And I took the eggs and I lit the fire, put the frying pan oh, on top. Oh, oh,
0: well, you say you lit the fire. You did that with a match, right? You didn't actually rub sticks
4: together. A lighter. A lighter. It was amazing. And I was only there for like an hour. It sounds
0: like this is another to add to the pile of challenges you've genuinely enjoyed.
4: I would say this is one of my favourite ones because this is something that I would apply to my everyday as much as I could. And I love it so much that I want our listeners to do it as well and get out of whatever life they've got every so often and get out in nature and just try something. It like It is genuinely brilliant. And it will change your perception of where you live, like especially if you do it locally. And I want them to send us their pictures of them doing it, and I want to, I want to see them doing it.
0: Okay, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, if you've been inspired by Ollie's, uh, I nearly said journey there, but we're not American. Then do get in touch and let us know what you get up to. It'd be amazing if you've inspired anyone to do a micro adventure or anything. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks Ollie. Um, uh, now, time for your challenge for next month's episode. It's from Mia in Berlin, mm. who says, "I love escape rooms." And TripAdvisor lists dozens in London. Have you ever done an escape room, Ollie? No. Are you aware of what an escape
4: room is? It's a puzzle, right? You have to you get locked in a room and you've got to work out how to get out.
0: Essentially, yes. Oh. I I wonder if they really lock you in a room, but that's the idea. Is they pretend? You know, you the idea is can you find your way out of this room? Right so (laughs) you're doing the skeptical face again oh so So, okay just bear in mind this will be fun right like the last two challenges you're going to enjoy this
4: yeah but i'm skeptical because they've been fun. (laughs) you're
0: skeptical i see you (laughs) think we're storing one up yeah exactly yeah this one's gonna be shit isn't it (laughs) mia says could ollie investigate the best escape rooms and report back before my city break to london in november so that was mia's
4: challenge but that's another travel agent exactly and
0: we kind of thought you know what we've been letting you just essentially have a holiday for this month's mm. zeitgeist so we're going to up the stakes a bit right producer matt has secured us some space for an afternoon in a church in central london right okay what we would like you to do mm. is take me as idea go to various different escape rooms across the country and let her know which ones are the best right. but but mm. translate those learnings into ollie pitt's escape room which alex and i will test live in the next episode You want me to build an escape room? Build and design an escape room, yes.
2: (laughs) So it's like learning the
0: magic trick. You did that. You rose to the occasion, didn't you? I did. Now you've got to design a magic trick effectively, but also be put to the test and we discover whether it's an entertaining tourist attraction.
4: Sounds really difficult. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Mm.
0: I think for me, the jeopardy comes from giving you something difficult to do, not just go and kill a fucking fish. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've had it easy this month. I didn't kill it. It just died in the box. Watch as a fish dies. Yes. So, you know, I'd like you to do something a little bit more complex. Okay. And I'm looking forward to trying out Ollie Pitt's escape room. Aren't you?
4: Well, I'm going to make it so hard you won't be able to get out.
0: Yeah, if there's no podcast next month, uh, Alex and I are still in there. Please send help. Uh, in a moment, you will meet Seb. His story is one that I'd certainly never heard before. But first, it is time for our record of the month. Uh, the album Past Continuous by folk three-piece Morby Jones. Uh, and from it, here is the song that I've been singing along to all summer. It is called Love Song Too Late. And it's out now.
2: Slow and square and rush, awakened by the sound of sliding door. Stabbed by neon online And shaken by a memory Out of years Every girl I see before me Where's your face? I stand and stare Back in time and half dream Crazy in the moment Frozen there So turn back Time and fold it like A page you've read all Change the words do this when
0: your heart's unsteady. Now, just before our middle feature this month, may I just take a moment to give my thanks to Simon, Isabel, David, Neil, Kevin, and Peter. What is special? About those six people? Well, they are all brand new financial supporters of this show. If you enjoy what we're doing, why not join them and contribute towards this completely independent enterprise by sending us five dollars a month? We call it beer money because the average pint of beer in Britain is £3.69, which is about $5. But you can choose to give us any amount you want, as often as you want, a pound an episode, a pound a year, I really don't mind. Uh we have a secure, customizable web form at modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk. with two UK, just click beer money. Uh, and there's a PayPal link there as well if you would prefer to use that. Every penny pays for our time and expenses making this podcast. So thank you, chaps. Um, And a man who supported the show in the past, actually, is Sebastian Shube. Uh, He first wrote to me about a year ago. Uh, He said, I'm a full-time busker in London. In between sets, I often have quite a lot of dead time on my hands, and your podcast has brought that time back to life. I'd like to suggest a guest for you to interview, Gary A. Wilson. He's the author of a book, Your Brain on Porn, Internet Pornography and the Emerging Science of Addiction, which I found incredibly educational and helped me overcome my problems. Well, if uh, you are a regular listener to the show, you can probably guess how I responded to that. I mean, we do sometimes talk to authors or academics, but we always are looking to speak to people with direct experience of a subject, if possible. So I wrote to Seven, and I asked him why that book had been useful to him, and whether he might be interested to talk to me about his experiences using porn. Um, and I was really pleased when he agreed, because uh, frankly, I'd, I'd never met him before. And the conversation you're about to hear is not one that I would have had when I was in my early 20s. Uh, but here's Sebastian, who had a thoroughly millennial introduction
3: to porn. I think my first experience with pornography was two girls, one cub. Um, wow. Which made, was, wasn't, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't look at it myself. My, someone in school showed it to me and I remember making me sick. Of course, I'm from Germany who have sex education. I, like, I received sex education when I was like nine. I knew where babies came from. I knew how sex worked. I knew what sex was. So watching Two Girls, One Cup, I was never, never at any point did I think in my brain, this is how people have sex. And never at any point when I was watching porn, even, you know, as a young, before I lost my virginity, I didn't think this is how people have sex. I was always aware that this wasn't a realistic way of people having sex. So I was never, I never expected then when I had sex for the first time, I I, I wasn't disappointed, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, oh, this is how sex works. This never happened to me. For me, the problems with porn started when I was 19. I would watch porn daily, usually in the evenings before going to bed on my phone. And, you know, I'd just go on my browser, incognito browser, Go on up. For me it was about New things I got bored really quickly Generally In life I get bored by The same old things So I would Try to find new videos I hadn't seen before There's categories as well But actually I stayed away from categories I didn't really care about Like Didn't have like a preference It was a floater Usually How many videos Would you get through Would you say 20 minutes Half an hour worth But I used to You know Watch a video And then Kind of fast forwards to kind of the bits I liked or move back and then move on to the next one kind of browse browse till I found something that could finish me off in a way that was like oh yeah no I can't I, I've got to stay with this this is the one so this theoretically
0: the one. Th- that could have been 15 videos a night easily
3: oh probably more probably like 20 videos but it wasn't about it was more about finding the right one it wasn't about watching 20 videos it was about searching 20 videos and on 21 you're like oh this is it good Searching is part of the fun. Anticipation, to me, generally, has always been better than satisfaction. There was this girl I met at a bar. We'd gone on a few dates, kissed and stuff. Um, And she came back to my place and weren't initially gonna have sex. So we didn't in the evening, and then in the morning, we did, well, we tried, and I couldn't. And she was quite hurt. I, you know, she she felt like I wasn't attracted to her. And to this day, she still thinks I'm gay, I think. Because that was her, like, I thought, oh, I think, just think you're, I think you're, I think you might be gay, Seb. What were you thinking? I was embarrassed. You know, it's it's already quite a vulnerable position to be in. And then on top of that, you you can't perform... Was there an element of you that thought it was something to do with her
0: initially, that maybe you didn't find her attractive, even though you knew you did?
3: Oh, no, she was beautiful. That's why I found so strange. I thought, okay, I've got this stupidly beautiful, incredible woman next to me. And I couldn't perform. I could see I could see that that got to her. We had a chat and she was like, you know, you should, maybe she should go see a doctor about this. And then she left. I just walked around the neighborhood and was there and I was like, oh my God, I'll never be able to have sex again. And I was so scared. And what does that feel like? It was just the issue of, it's so much fun. Like, I'm I'm, I'm 19. <laughs> I want to have sex. I like it. And just the thought of, you know, having take a pill, I was thinking, oh, what a bummer. But at the time, I remember thinking, okay, I have to sort this out by myself. I need to get through this alone, sort it out. And that'll be done with it. It's fine.
0: It makes it sort of unique to any other kind of medical problem. I mean, at this point, you thought it was a purely biological thing, and yet because it's a sexual thing, because it's a thing that happens in private, it's something that's very difficult to then seek help on.
3: Yeah, because people don't want to talk about it. It's it's people. What man are you going to speak to that's like, oh yeah, I couldn't get it up the other night? That's not going to come up in conversation. No, people are not going to willingly admit that they're not performing because people are so insecure about it. Even you know, I don't really struggle with insecurities, but I was really insecure about it. It's so vivid as well. Like, there are other areas of sexual
0: malfunction, I guess, if you're going to call it that, you know, things that are undesirable in the bedroom that it's more easy to be humorous about if you knew that the reason you couldn't get an erection was because you have been drinking too much. Or even premature ejaculation. That's very serious. affects a lot of men. But at the same time, it's something that most men can relate to happening occasionally. Not being able to get it up and you don't
3: know why is a really yeah.
0: hard thing to discuss.
3: I think if you're older let's say 40 30 40 plus 50 then that's more common and more talked about but if you're 19 and you struggle with erectile dysfunction that has no obvious reason like alcohol drugs or depression or anything then you're there like okay something is seriously wrong and really that should that should allow me to actually need to go to see a doctor i need to speak to people but my brain was just like no 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 i need to solve this myself so what did you do? So I googled f- <laughs> millennial. <laughs> I googled my symptoms, and yeah, what I found was as I said was biological reasons. What did, what literally did you type into the search engine? I was like erectile dysfunction in under twenty year olds. That's why I typed in. And there Is was, there, are there a lot of responses to that? Yes, that you can you find the NHS page which kind of directly leads you to erectile dysfunctions. The reasons for erectile dysfunction blood pressure, which is, you know, classic for all the people. Depression, which is, leads more to the medication that you get prescribed if you're depressed. bit alcohol, drug use. And I was like, I don't qualify for any of these. And then it said, sometimes, you know, there are chronic issues for people have to have surgery. Or it's just, you know, just genetically, it's, it's just an issue they have to live with. Like people having bad eyesight. And it's really rare, but it happens. So I thought, okay, I I'll, I'll fall into that then. I thought, like, okay, maybe I have to see a doctor about this. And I got... But why did you think this was going to be permanent and long-lasting
0: immediately, having had one bad experience? And until that point, everything had been working normally, right? You'd, you'd had a former partner and you'd been masturbating fine.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, I, the only other time I had struggled with erectile dysfunction was the very, very, very first time I tried to have sex, which was just nerves you know, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to have sex. And (laughs) they're like, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I wasn't thinking straight because if I was thinking straight, I would have gone see a doctor. I I was pacing around thinking, oh my God, my penis is broken. (laughs) And then I found some really interesting Reddit pages. Talk us through what the Reddit NoFap movement is. So the Reddit NoFap movement is a movement that claims that if you stop masturbating, you gain superpowers. This is the basis. Once a month, people just stop masturbating, and some people do it for a really long time. And the whole and, f- and report back. Report back. So it's a community. It's a Reddit. It's a Reddit community. So say what? It'd be like you know I got have masturbated in twenty eight days, feel as alive as I've never have before. I've picked up the gym. I'm working out. I finally have a girlfriend. I feel confident. You know, I have so much energy, like the other day I just couldn't sleep, walked out and had a run for an hour and then went to bed. And then I had a little note, sometimes erectile dysfunction can be caused by porn use. Like literally a note, and then I put in erectile dysfunction, porn use, and then I stumbled across a website, mybrainonporn.com. It's not a forum, it's just information, it's this whole thing that porn causes changes in your brain. That can lead to... Erectile dysfunction... Depression... Brain fog... Basically, kind of say Porn can ruin... Your... Your sex life... Um... I mean, a lot of this stuff... The nofap stuff...
0: And the... What porn does to your brain stuff... It's always seemed to me... When I've looked at that... That a lot of it comes from... An American evangelical point of view... Yeah... It's a religiously motivated... Don't spill your seed in vain thing and when i look at it i think okay there's probably some truth to that in terms of as you say focus attention energy but you can take this to an extreme where you're actually perpetuating shame through masturbation and it becomes unhealthy
3: yeah but what struck me about that website was that the symptoms they were describing i was having i was struggling with brain fog i was going through a rough patch at the time generally it was it wasn't like it wasn't the best time of my life and then i I stopped watching porn. I basically, just okay. I said, why, "Why not try this before?" Before I have someone like put a syringe in my penis. Let why not? Why not just stop watching porn, and then I couldn't get it up at all. I couldn't masturbate.
0: Oh, so you'd still try and masturbate without porn?
3: Yeah, and found that that was impossible. That was impossible. So I just ended up not masturbating, and I remember I didn't masturbate for like a week, and suddenly my head started feeling clearer. I had more energy. You know, like described in the no fat movement a lot of things i was struggling with before brain fog lacking energy erectile dysfunction state but i was starting to feel better what do you mean by brain fog do you know when you wake up and you just feel tired and you're like i can't be bothered to do anything today and and everything just pisses you off and you're probably a bit hungover but imagine having that all the time for me, it's it's a way where you can't really take pleasure out of things anymore. So I was living my own life, I was playing gigs, I was I was busking, I was seeing friends, but it was like everything was foggy. The whole experience it was like someone had turned the saturation down. Everything seemed a bit black and white, a bit a bit depressing, a bit unmotivating. Just wasn't vivid at all. I stopped masturbating. I think the longest I've managed was thirty days, and. It is like someone turned the situation up in my life, and all
0: of this you are doing by yourself. I mean, I know it feels like you are getting support because you are on online forums,
3: but you are still not talking to anyone about it. No, no. At the time, I'd also stop dating this girl, so I was I was single. I'd calendar up on my phone and just put like everyone I remember I'd put green marks for good days, and then a relapse would be red day. And a relapse is having a wank. Having a wank would be orange, and a relapse red would be watching watching porn, having a wank. Right. Um, and then I woke up one morning with an erection and it was the happiest day of the month. I couldn't believe it. In the past, I'd always thought of porn as porn. And that's the only thing that your brain considers porn. But it doesn't. If you look at Instagram you see, you know, I don't know, something like... Model in a bikini On Instagram Or you're on Tinder Scrolling Left and right And seeing Seeing women there Activates The same pathways As porn does So you're not actually Recovering at all You know it was Using like, it was like Tinder Or something like that Be on Tinder And then I get aroused And I So I can be like No we can't wait Can't wank. But then You know I'd, I'd feel horrible after So I Put in like I'd Google like Tinder You know it'd Be like no fab. Tinder slash Instagram, stuff like that. And they'd be like, no, you can't do that either. And I think, okay, delete. I remember I deleted my, I actually, I actually deleted Instagram as well, deleted everything. So I actually tried to just go not use my phone as much as I could. And then it started getting better.
0: It's just fascinating to listen to, because on the one hand, I'm thinking, you've obviously found something that's working for you, like, uh, you didn't have an erection, you stopped watching porn, and then your, your erection started coming back. So that, that seemed to work for you. And you found an explanation about the neural pathways in the brain, which quite possibly makes sense. I haven't read into it, but yeah. again, it made sense to you, and that's working for you. But then the net result of that is another psychological thing, which is tying in seeing real women in real situations as porn and that being stigmatized. Yeah. You know, which in itself seems like a problem. You know, basically saying, I mean, I get it. Like, it's a problem for me to look at Tinder, so I won't look at Tinder. But of course, it shouldn't be a problem for you to look at women.
3: No, but I think the problem with it is is the screen. It's, it's, it's being 2D. If your brain starts associating arousal with a phone screen or the computer screen and two-dimensional images, and so arousal is now associated with a the screen, then when you look at real women, as in like, not like on a picture, <laughs> as in like walking down the street... Your brain's like, oh no, that's nothing to do with arousal Because you've trained your brain mm. To only get aroused When you're watching porn Because essentially What you're doing is You're sitting alone in front of a computer Looking at things That exist somewhere else That are not there You know, if, is, Be that porn or Tinder, you know, it's, it's not actually there And you have a wank and you feel good for a bit But really you're just sitting alone In a room in front of a screen Rather than what it should be, you're with someone, you know what sex should be, you're with someone, you have a general emotional connection, you've got someone to talk to, there's someone there, and really your brain, that's the kind of, that's the way our brains evolve to associate that with sexual arousal. But what porn does, it replaces it. It's like junk food. We have this natural need for sex, and there comes something along that we can watch and binge watch
0: forever. It also depends what you're watching as well. Because, you know, the pornography, which more closely simulates a couple having sex with each other, is not necessarily the stuff that is ranking well on the internet. I mean, I always find it fascinating if you go into Pornhub or you go onto YouPorn and you look at the most viewed videos... There's some stuff that five, ten years ago would have been considered some pretty extreme fucked up kind of stuff, which is the most popular video on there. Stepmom abuses stepson is like the most popular category of pornography. And how did that happen?
3: It's like a drug. We grow tolerant. So we need to take, you know, if, if you are addicted to a drug, you grow tolerant, you have a higher doses. When you're addicted to porn, you start watching harder stuff, which might initially be something that you weren't even aroused by it. And I think that's that's how people escalate. I never got into really heavy stuff. What I used to get into was was games. There's a whole thing. There's a whole thing with, like, porn games, you know, where the characters are naked, which is, seems really bizarre. It, all these things seem so bizarre, thinking back to now, because, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, think, that's, that in itself uh, is uh, a it, kind it, of fetish it, that it, has it, become more mainstream, right? It, it does, but, you know, you get to a point where that's the only thing that works for you, because... Just watching two people make love in a video or, you know, going on YouTube and putting on Game of Thrones sex scene doesn't doesn't work <laughs> anymore. What I learned was that the reason I couldn't get it up with a girl was that porn had messed my brain up. So for me it came about rewiring your brain, which is something is which is a phrase you will find a lot on, on Nophob Forums or on my brain on porn, is that you have to rewire your brain, reboot. It's called the reboot. The way I've experienced it, and the way a lot of people in the forums have experienced it, it's not—it's not a straight line to success. It's you walk a few steps, you fail, you go, you go on a bit, you relapse, you manage for longer, you manage for longer, um, and eventually you get you get out of it. That's the way I experience it. And then eventually you can just say no, because at the start it's so so hard because. Every time your brain, you know, sees your computer, you see, oh, there's a desk, it's a trigger. Dopamine gets released and the urge to watch porn becomes ridiculously strong. And there are a lot of techniques that were online to avoid that. Like I changed the furniture around. So my desk used to be, my desk used to be where we're sitting right now. And as soon as I just moved the desk to the other side of the room, that trigger was completely gone. But we've all got computers in our pockets now in the form of a smartphone. It makes it so much more difficult because then you're lying in bed with your, you know, the other thing is that you lie in bed at the end of the day with your phone, you know, checking messages, or you're planning your day ahead. And then you, then you watch porn. That used to be a thing as well for me because I have such hectic days to calm down. It's, you know, have a wank, cause cozy sleep. So what I then did, I just, which just, I think was, was a good decision anyway, which I do now anyway, is just, I just turn my phone off half an hour before I go to bed and just read a book that, and for me, it was about eliminating triggers, eliminating things that drew me back into it. And it it takes long and it's so hard. It must be the hardest thing. It must be the hardest thing I've ever done. And it sounds bizarre because you're just quitting porn. But that's why it's an addiction. It was, I was literally like, the lowest of the low of that whole thing was I'd gone... 30 days-ish, like a month and then I had the worst day ever I had my heart broken career-wise I had a setback and I went went to my favourite bar my friends, I did a gig I got drunk, went home and watched porn and afterwards I cried and I was like, what the hell and then your counter goes back to zero I managed to get over it. And that was about the time I, I emailed you. I'd recovered. How did you define that? I wasn't watching porn. I had no desire to watch porn. I was dating a girl. I had no troubles getting it up. I mean, talk me through that first moment when you got an erection in front of someone. That must have felt like an incredible achievement. Well, actually, the first time we tried to have sex, I couldn't get it up either. And I was like, what's going on? You know, you have a, Was your partner very understanding about that? Had yeah, I, 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 that was that was the first person I told that I said I used to be. You know, I, I, had a, I had a big issue with porn. I used to be addicted to porn. That was the first person I told. Was her?
0: Do you think you could be in a relationship with someone who watched porn themselves?
3: I mean, I wouldn't watch it with them. And I would have a conversation with them about porn and its effects. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to boo porn. Like porn, is, as I said, porn isn't bad it's about how you use it
0: have you seen a doctor at all in any stage of this no because this is self-diagnosed basically self-diagnosed
3: self-cured what do you think a doctor would have said to you if you'd gone to them with the symptoms that you'd had so i don't know what a i don't know what a doctor would have said to me but from what i've read a lot of people have gone to doctors in the commu- in the community that's online a lot of people have gone and seen doctors for other symptoms People have gone and seen doctors for depression, for social anxiety, for all sorts of things. But both those words
0: are things that, that I was thinking it could be when you were describing what your life was like. You know, the saturation level is down, you're tired. Yeah. That could be depression and anxiety, couldn't it?
3: You know, I and I was... To be fair, I wasn't, I wasn't associating it with depression and anxiety because, I don't know, I know people have gone through real depression and real bad mental health issues. And... I wasn't there, and I thought maybe yeah I'm struggling a bit. But everyone everyone has phases in their life where everything sucks a bit. We have to you just you just push through and you come out the, the other end. That was my opinion on it. But yeah, to get back to the get back to the question about the doctor. Ha! Huh. Sorry, I just remembered something. So I actually went to see a doctor because I got chlamydia, and. It was two months later. I started, started like it started to hurt when I was I was having a wee, and I was like, "Oh, was this?" And then I, I went to see a doctor, and, th- and they basically said, "You got chlamydia, so I got chlamydia of someone," um, which was annoying, but it's fine. You take antibiotics. But I remember speaking to the doctor about I struggle with erectile dysfunctions, and I think it's porn induced, and they didn't know much about it and they say there's a support group there's a group for young people that each other's functions that we could sign you up for but the waiting list is 5 months so i put myself on the waiting list but 5 months later I was i was good anyway so so that was that was just at the end of the summer so i was i i, I remember and that's that. a group where people go to a room in a village hall and talk about their problems together i assume so i
0: never went yeah and the waiting list is 5 months I mean, that does tell you that it's a bigger problem than you
3: might have thought. Yes, it does. Yeah, you're right. Again, I don't know all the numbers off by heart, but apparently there's been a 1,000% increase in erectile dysfunctions in under 24-year-olds in the past 15 years. 1,000%. And the only factor is... Not pornography, but tube sites, like, porn up, like binge binge porn it's called binge porn watching porn on your smartphone that's the only factor that has changed and a lot of people are struggling with it and the the community online is growing by the day like 2000 new people a day and that that's not just young people that's elderly people as well um but yeah it's it's I I I call it I call I call smartphones and inter- the internet I call it cigarette of our generation because people are having struggles all along the line, not just with pornography, but you know there's there's a whole thing with social media and its effects on the same reward circuit that pornography hijacks, but weaker. You know we get we get satisfaction out having likes on our pictures, we get a dopamine rush from there, and I think over the next 10, 20 years, science is going to catch up. Because at the moment, there's not much. But there are more studies being published every day. And I think that eventually we'll get to a point where it's common knowledge that pornography, and then I think internet, like generally social media as well, can have damaging effects. And that'll just be part of sex education. Like, use a condom when you have sex. There'll just be, be a session on pornography and its effects on the brain. Be careful.
0: Sebastian Shoup. And if you've got a story to share on a future edition of the podcast, do what he did. Visit modernman.co.uk and click Feedback. We don't always have the time to reply to every email, but we do read them all. Next up, the adult chat continues. Alex Fox, after this. Hello, Alex. Well, hello, Alex. It's so great to have you back to talk sex. It's the foxhole.
1: Well, that audio is going to haunt my nightmares for many weeks to come, well, Ollie.
0: It's your new ringtone. You'll grow to love it. Uh, what have you been up to recently?
1: I have been learning what farto shopping is.
0: <laughs> Go on. <laughs>
1: Well, a long time ago, I interviewed a woman called the Queen of Farts who makes her living by uh, recording custom-made videos of her trumping in very tight pairs of jeans or uh, little tiny thongs for people who fetishise methane gas. is it
0: extraordinary how the internet has provided an income to all kinds of people?
1: Well, she uh, makes her income via accepting commissions from people to produce these very specific fart-based videos. She had one client who wanted her to fart on tiny china figurines of men uh, because his whole kink was that he liked the idea of an Amazonian goddess towering over him and knocking him down with her massive Farty emissions. she actually had to commission, in the end, a movie prop maker to make papier mache versions of what looked like porcelain figures because she couldn't fart with the requisite strength to blow them down.
0: I mean, that's an even more incredible commission for the prop maker, I would say. <laughs> Did she just tell him, yeah, we're doing a version of Gulliver's Travels? Do you think she told him the truth?
1: I'm not sure. I do know that she has, in her time, turned down ro- one request from a client, which was that she fart on a copy of the Quran. Um, wow. he said that he felt that his religious upbringing had had a negative effect on his ability to express his own sexuality yeah. and that her doing this in this video uh, would make him feel better about that but she was concerned that if it ended up News on the out. internet yeah. that her farting on a religious book could be seen as a uh, inciting Religious hatred. <laughs> so, fartoshopping is the name that has been given by a series of fart fetishists to the suspected practice of fart queens and dominatrixes dubbing a Trump soundtrack over their videos. <gasps> so, they're not actually farting. They're pretending to and like going through the motions of bending over and straining. It's fake but news, then yeah, yeah, fake poos, <laughs> if you will. But these guys have actually gone through a series of fart fetish videos, comparing the acoustics of all these farts, along with uh, pre-existing fart tracks that you can actually get on Spotify. There's an entire playlist of fake fart sounds, oh, yeah. uh, and Record they of have the accused. Soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've accused some of these um, these fart queens of um, of lying about what's. Being Emitted from their bum cheeks. If
0: only when you google Trump fake news, that was the story you saw. (laughs) Uh, Okay, time for our question of the month. It is from April, and he says, I'm a transvestite who has recently gained confidence to go out dressed in women's clothing. Having enjoyed that, I'm trying to expand my horizons and I'm keen to get involved in the kink scene. I would like to try a session with a professional mistress. I have approached a couple through their website but heard nothing back. Could you provide any advice on how to contact someone like that for someone like me, completely new to this world?
1: Well, unfortunately, it does sound like some of these first emails might be more e-fails because anybody who is providing a service as a dominant or a dominatrix is a business. Mm. They're not going to turn your business away unless you've either approached them in a way that's inappropriate or they have some suspicions that you are not the right client for them. Mm. So to that end, I spoke to two great friends of mine, Mistress Valeria August and Master Dominic to get some tips on what you you should and should not do when approaching a dom for the first time
0: okay and this regardless of whether or not you're cross-dressing presumably
1: yes this goes for anybody and everybody who's interested in booking an s&m session (laughs) we like to keep it broad
0: (laughs) this goes for everybody out there who's booking a session with mr dominic yeah okay
1: tip number one is don't send an essay as your first email a lot of people particularly newbies because they're very excited about expressing themselves in this way for the first time uh, tend to write reams and reams of information. Valeria actually said that she'd received um, links to people's personal diary entries. Uh, Master Dominic has received emails that begin, I suppose it was around my eighth birthday when I first started to feel this way. Mm. These people have limited time and they need to re- be able to read your email fast. This is the first initial message that you're sending to begin a business transaction.
0: Yeah, and they're not therapists. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it?
1: Well, I do actually think that dominance do serve a therapeutic purpose, But they don't fulfil that role until you're paying them to do so. So they don't have hours and hours to hear your entire backstory as excited as you may be to tell it. Tip number two. Don't make your email too short. Um, If you've got really nervous and anxious and you've built up to this moment and then you fire off an email very quickly just saying, I want to book a session then it can seem like you haven't thought about it properly or even that you're barking at that person. And some sex workers are actually quite sensitive to the idea that people are going, uh, doing the email equivalent of, hey, you there, whore, serve me. So you want to make sure that your email sets a balance between not being too short and seeming perfunctory uh, and not being so long that you are forgetting that this person has other things to do with their day.
0: Love it. Tip number three.
1: It's the rule of three. When you're outlining what you would like to experiment with in your very first S&M session with a Dom or a dominatrix, just give three examples of things that you might like to explore. So, say, Mm. spanking, electro play and... Forced degradation or something like that. If you give an enormous shopping list of everything from having your prostate milked to uh, being hooked up to farmyard equipment to uh, wanting to reenact a fantasy that you've always had about a librarian, then That can be overwhelming Mm. for a a worker who realises that they cannot possibly fulfil all of your fetish fantasies within an hour or a two-hour session. Mm. So it's good to show that you understand what is possible and that your expectations are reasonable. Don't sound like you've just contacted them because it's titillating to you and you're wanking whilst you're typing.
0: I mean, actually, that goes for anyone sending a question to the show as well. (laughs) (laughs) I have to read through the inbox before I forwarded it to Alex.
1: Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Think
0: of me first.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But keep your language respectful. Okay, you're talking about something sexual here, um, but you want to be taken seriously. You're making a proposal to somebody to enter into a transactional situation. Mm. Sex workers will be put off if they think that you're a time waster who's just enjoying telling them all about your fantasies for free which segues neatly into the idea of ask how you pay a deposit. uh, Wow. God, I wasn't
0: expecting sort of estate agent rules to come into this.
1: If you don't talk about money or at least mention a fee in your first email. But
0: there's a difference between like, let me know how much it is. I'm good for it. And let me know how to pay you a deposit. That seems like a really formal way to spell out the process.
1: Having had close friends who are doms and dominatrixes for a long time, I know how many of them get last-minute cancellations from people when they've been depending on that money that week to pay their rent and how Mm. stressful that is for them. I know how many hours of their time are wasted by people who just want to talk about a fantasy, who will never actually go through with a booking. You will absolutely be taken more seriously if you respect the seriousness of that person's time. So mentioning money in your initial uh, contact is much more likely to get you a favourable and swift response. But I suppose
0: the flip of that, if you're the client, is that you might be taking it very seriously, but you don't know, do you, that this person you're contacting isn't a fraudster. They may not be of the calibre of people that you've been talking to. It may be, You might have typed professional mistress into Google, got someone who says, here are my bank details, and then they never turn up for the appointment
1: that's very true and that's why you should do your research before you reach out to a sex worker another tip that i'm going to give to our listener here is that they need to make sure that the person that they're approaching does actually cater for example to people who um like who who are into transvesticism.
0: yeah what extra complications does that bring
1: well i think this person needs to do some self-study before they reach out to a dom again it would be really useful for them to identify what is it about dressing up as a woman that turns you on is this something that you're doing because the taboo nature of it or the subversive nature of it is exciting to you is it your, something you're doing uh, because the escapism of the role play is exciting? Do you like to be sissified or told that you um, are a, a silly little girl when you're dressed up? Um, or is this more about experimenting with gender? And if so, do you have any dysphoria or stressful feelings about your body or in particular your genitals? If you can identify what your own motivations and perhaps what your own concerns are, and you can mention that those briefly in an opening email to a DOM, then that will help them a cater to you and b work out whether or not they are the right person to actually serve the needs that you have there there are particularly some female mistresses who feel that it's not suitable for them personally to enter into working with a client who, for example, wants to be dressed up as a woman and called a whore or a slut, which is a lot of people's fetish, Fetish, um, because they, as women, feel uncomfortable mm. that they're being asked to enter into an exchange where what represents their own femininity as being parodied in a pejorative way, if that makes sense. Yeah, how do you put that
0: in an introductory email, though? You know, because if that is his fetish, we don't know the guy. But if his thing is, I would like to be called whore and slut as you hit me with your feather duster, but I respect you as a woman and I'm willing to pay a deposit. I mean, do you say that in the email?
1: (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily a bad email. If you can say, um, I am into being degraded, and these are the terms that I, la- I would like to be called in a session, is that something you cater to? If so, I would love to book you on any of these following dates that you're available, and I would appreciate you telling me how to put down a deposit.
0: <laughs> Not Thursdays, I've got a delivery coming. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And God knows what DPD are bringing to an X-rated dungeon.
0: Uh, Any further reading for April that we'd suggest...
1: Um, yeah, reading the instructions on any sex worker's website is absolutely key to a successful conversation with them. If you don't look like you can follow basic instructions that they have already made very clear to you on their site, then they are likely to see you as a difficult client who in a situation where they say are tied down or that there's more physical danger involved, might not follow instructions that, are, that pertain to their safety. So you you may well make a sex worker feel uncomfortable about allowing you to hire them if you can't do the very basics of following instructions.
0: Excellent advice. If you have a question of sex for the next edition of The Foxhole, what do you have to do
1: with it? Follow my instructions very strictly to the letter <laughs> and head to our website with 2 ends <laughs> 2
0: two and
1: hit feedback. Hit feedback.
0: Hit it. Spank it. Um. Whip it. <laughs> Cain it. And if you want to follow Alex on Instagram or on Twitter, she is at
1: A L I X F O X.
0: And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this edition of The Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new man ambassador. Jenny in Seattle has been in touch. She says, Ollie, I have been meaning to send you beer money for ages, and I finally got to it. Though since I don't drink beer, in my mind, it is money for Scrumpy. And you send the cash, Jenny. You can imagine it's for whatever you like. Uh, thank you for your marvellous show, she says. I've laughed, I've cried, I've learned, I've shared, and it is infinitely better than listening to NPR and hitting my head against the steering wheel of what currently spews forth from my country. I would like to nominate my friend Derek, who introduced me to the show in the first place as ambassador for Seattle. And maybe I could be an asterisk as the ambassador's attaché. Jenny, I like your style. Two for one, you hustler. Consider it done. You're on the map the Emerald City. Congratulations. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll be back with a brand new episode on the 1st of October. See you then.
2: Turn back time and fold it like a page you've read already. Change the word, do this when your heart's unsteady. rise, stars will fall, old love comes back to claim us all, suns will rise, stars will fall, old love comes back to claim us all.
0: So retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
0: And on Friday, when free-spirited
2: Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears.
0: We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes, everyone weekday wherever you get your podcasts